Hey, welcome to Dad Bod History. I'm Eric. That's Jake. Jake. That's Cameron. Uh, and we are here uh, for another episode of Dad Bod History. I think this is going to be Dad Bod History 35. Uh, we're still going to be going with our Black History Month theme. And uh, before anything else happens, I'm going to stop with all the uh, you know pleasantries, like and subscribe and hit the notification bell. I'm not asking nicely. I'm telling you to do it. Just do it. Do it. Like I'm, I'm done with the, hey, please. No, just do it. Like I don't know why you would not do it. It's just dumb at this point. It's rude, frankly. Yes, rude. Un-American. If you, if you don't like, Easy, like and subscribe, <laughs> the terrorists win. This is a, okay, this is a history Buy your podcast. war bonds today. <laughs> Also known as give us money. I literally have a tin or like aluminum picture that's of the guys uh, like raising the flag at Iwo Jima. It's probably in the first few episodes. Seventh war bond now all together. You know, Mm -hmm. so uh, yeah. So like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, leave a comment, um, you know, being angry at me about that. And then, um, yeah, so. Yeah. Hate watches. We don't care. Still yeah send us to your <laughs> enemies if this is really annoying just send it to your enemies be like yeah. i want the person i hate the most to have to listen to these people yeah that'll show them too it will it will so tonight um we're going to again i think this will be our last week uh discussing black history month we're going to look at a couple movies tonight uh that we watched viewed or really got well acquainted with the wikipedia page on and um i'm excited about discussing those because there's a lot of good uh ideas there i think there's a lot of good conversation to be had there but first i want to play a game and i know this is kind of a first for us so and we'll get to dad bod the serious podcast the dad front oh it's serious all right we'll get to the dad front in a little bit um so do you know what an anagram is yes Camera. Refresh uh, the memory of the people that so, don't know. So I, mean, I, I know totally what it means. I know, but, I know what know, it means, but you tell me to see that you know what it means. Exactly. You, you prove oh, that you oh know yeah. What it okay. Means, Eric. Well, let me explain it. So an anagram is kind of like scrambled letters, right? So a phrase, you scramble the letters, and but it's not just scrambled. It it's scrambled into something meaningful, right? Some actual words. Uh, maybe it's a weird phrase. Let me give you an example of um a good anagram um i'm not sure if this one's gonna work the way i want it to let me see i think i have i'm really excited oh yeah oh yeah no this is great you're doing okay, a great so, job explaining yeah. so this to the people that don't know by the way here's an a good anagram he bugs gore right so the letters <laughs> h-e-b-u-g-s G-O-R-E. He bugs gore. That's an anagram of George Bush. And that's a really George good Bush. one because George Bush really bugged gore and that he defeated him in uh, the 2000 election. 
right? So it's the same letters re-scrambled, but it's not just scrambled, it's, it's into actual words, right? So yeah. I have a few anagrams for you tonight. Now the theme is Black History Month. So these are African-Americans of note. Um, again, there's hundreds of them, right? But these, these four in particular, I'm just going to see if you can figure them out. So what's going to be weird is uh, this first time we're doing this kind of thing. I'm going to screen share. It's going to goof with our, our stuff. But um, let's go. I think this one's going to be good. So let me share this to the screen. You guys should see this. <clears throat> Do you see that one, bratty or hum human? So that's yeah, an no. anagram of a famous African-American. I want to see if either of you can figure it out. Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman, right? It is Harriet Tubman. That's correct. Well, that was too quick and too easy. I know you guys are all just so great. All right. So here's another one. I think this one's kind of funny. Unbeknownst to you, I study anagrams all the time. Hey, listen, <laughs> I did for a while. They're, they're fascinating. Here's another one. And this one, again, I, it's not I'm like not I spent get time. another one now. Uh, stuck up racists, which is <laughs> the person's Rip. name, huh? Somebody's name comes from, or well, not comes from, but it anagrams to stuck up racists. This one, which again, it's very, very huh. So, um, this one is tricky because I didn't even know how to spell his name. Um, give us a clue pre revolution, uh. Crispus Attucks. It is Crispus Attucks, Ooh. right? First killed. American martyr. Yeah, killed at the Boston Massacre. The Boston Massacre. All right, so let me get another one here. I keep going back and forth. All right. Uh, I think this one might be a bit easy just because of its length. Grave Gorgonian Wretches. Well, I think we did this one, didn't we? George Washington Carver. Yeah, George Washington That's Carver, right. yep. There he is, George Washington Carver. Okay, and so one more. Um, it helps when the initials are the same. Just for yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. This one, I think, I don't know. We'll see. Slick ogre defrauds. Uh, I think I got it. Frederick Douglass. It Ooh, is Frederick yeah, Douglass. That's, that's right. So, anyways, all right. Well, I was hoping that would take up more than three minutes, but all right, that was good. Good work. <laughs> Sorry. Did Did you call Jake beforehand and and tell him, hey, here are the answers. Let's play a joke on Cameron. Why would I do that? Well, we I didn't mean, want to say sound... it out loud, but yeah, that's exact. That you know. does yeah. sound like a great idea. Kind of wish I had come up with it myself. All right. So yeah, you pulled it off so so well and and acted offended. So. Yeah. Now that we have the game out of the way, all the fun stuff. Uh, no, no, we got uh, Tales from the Dad front, right? So. Um, yes, we do. So what do you, uh, what's going on on the Dad front, gentlemen? I got to think of a good story. Um, Jake, you go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so mine isn't. It's not much of a story. Uh, I was making dinner the other night and uh, my wife is um, in the kitchen with me and I'm cooking up some dinner for us and we're just talking and my son walks in and he comes up to me. He's got his tablet in his hands and 
he goes, uh, and I don't, okay. Um, he says, I want movies, but he replaces the M and V in movies with Bs. And he goes, I want booby. <laughs> and I look at him and I'm like, don't we all, son? Don't we all? Like, I just, I don't know. I don't know what else to say. Like, and my wife looks at me like, what did he say? I'm like, I think he's saying I want movies. Like he wanted to watch a movie on his tablet and just came out terribly, but humorously wrong. So that's, here we are. That's fantastic. That's my story for the week. I, it <laughs> stuck with me. It just makes me chuckle every time I think about it. So. There you go. We're proud of you. We're proud of you. That's yeah. great. Well done, son. That's my boy. Yep. So, um, so, oh, so, new, would... so, so a new thing at uh, the layman <clears throat> house lately is um, my three-year-old is quite the firecracker. So she, um, you know, one of those, she's one of those people that will dance whether there's music on or not. And it's, quite acrobatic and she's just in her absolute nice. cuteness prime right now so a game that th they got a speaker for christmas um so the new game is dance like the baby so however she's dancing everybody else kind of follows along and um that can entertain our family for a good half hour just following okay. her dance moves and she loves it everybody follows follows around and you know there's some furniture moving. It's it's a real acrobatic thing when it's being led by a three-year-old. And it's cardio. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that hits a lot of a lot of levels. That's good stuff. Yeah, have her watch, have her uh, wear the Apple Watch and get those steps in. Yeah, got to do it. See, so we were at the store the other day, um, and we went to the toy section to buy my daughter. Um, the deal with her is if she does good during her school work and her choice throughout the week she gets to buy a small toy um, as a reward and so we were there and, and I we did not get this but they have smart watches for kids now and they're like 60 bucks and like I don't I just don't see the point of buying my daughter a smart watch when she can't take care of her own milk cup like it's I just I don't know why you would get that for your child um, so that's all. I, I don't know. That, that's I, all it reminded me of is getting her, getting your three-year-old a smartwatch would be a horrifically expensive mistake. Well, yeah, you know what's last about a day. Fascinating is I have you know students bring their phones to school and they have to put them away and all that kind of stuff. The number of students whose phones, who's like, I mean, these are not these kids are not three or four generations behind phone wise they have the latest or the they're just itching to get their update but they all have cracked mm -hmm. screens like what is it you children mm -hmm. do with these things this is a one thousand dollar device and you just threw it at a brick or something like like cracked screens everywhere and, when and I then was they've teaching, also I got remember, the smart watches i don't remember who it was but one of my one of our students had a phone and their cracked screen was so bad that they actually cut their finger on it. Like, <laughs> yeah, I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> and they're like, you just need to, Mom you, got need, tired you need to give up the ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like you won't learn unless it hurts you, I guess, but <laughs> yeah. That's funny. 
So, all right, from the dad front. Um, so it was my uh, my son's birthday weekend, right? His birthday's on Tuesday. We can't do a party with anybody. So we've just kind of been, you know, stringing out the gifts over several days. His birthday's coming up on Tuesday. We're going to make a big deal out of it. You know, it's a little bit here and there. We're just trying to make him feel special. And so he's got a bunch of these Lego sets. He's really into Jurassic World. And then the youngest thinks they all belong to him. And when a present gets opened, that's not for him. He screams and throws a fit, you know, three years old. That's what they do. Mm -hmm. But I, you know, I mentioned this last time we've been watching the Mandalorian and um, my youngest, he will hold his three fingers out like baby Yoda. And then he'll also Mm -hmm. do this thing. So uh, I was at, at the store this morning, I saw a pair of Yoda ears baby Yoda ears, you know, they, they, they're just, you know, a headband with the ears. So I grabbed those and he wore those all day. In fact, just about 20 minutes ago, I went in to go check on him and uh, he had fallen asleep with those on his head. So it's a win. Nice. That's a great thing about three-year-olds is if, I mean, going to the dollar store and giving a three-year-old $5, they are literally the richest person alive. And something like that, they just, they cherish it. That's so cool. It's easy to, to just distract them out of it. Yeah. Good yeah. I should have gotten right that. Should have gotten those years beforehand. So that when my old, my older son was uh, opening gifts, be like, Hey, this is for you. It's like, yay, plastic bag. Be excited and all that. That's so, a wife that, that's a lesson my, my wife has to remind <clears throat> me of often is when it's one of our kids' birthdays, we still got to get the other one something. Yeah. Otherwise, they throw a fit. I, um, I kind of forgot about it this time. And yeah. Whoops. So I think that that strategy in parenting in general is a good one. The old distraction as opposed to fight, fighting fire with fire. Because my inclination is always say, no, stop it, get over it, you know, don't throw a fit. But a little bit of a distraction, just to change a subject, whatever. I mean, that works for three-year-olds. That works for 10-year-olds. Yeah. Underrated. I mean, it would probably work on me if I went to your birthday party, Cameron, and I didn't get anything. But my wife had some little $1 gifts in her purse that she could give me to distract me so I didn't get sad. (laughs) It would probably work. Like, I'm not going to pretend it wouldn't. So. Yeah, you're not wrong about that. Yeah. And isn't that interesting that every child's birthday party you go to, like people come to your house and bring gifts for your kids, but you have to have little gift bags for everybody that comes so that none of the kids, it's so different than when we were kids. When did um, that start? Like, I remember late that 90s? as a kid. It must really? have been when we were, yeah. had outgrown birthday parties. I guess not for Eric. Apparently, that's something that I, that's always been the in standard. His, like, where's my in his bougie lifestyle? Oh my gosh, hey, that's Eric. the second time I've had bougie thrown at me this week. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> I I don't so, know. I just don't remember that ever as a kid. I I mean, I been, was ha- ha- oh been drinking a lot of this the last couple of weeks, and uh, I had one at school, and I was drinking in the back of the classroom, and a student turns around, and he's like, "Wow." Bougie water, huh? I'm like, <laughs> which is interesting since it's obviously with the red star, a very proletariat water, but isn't it? Okay. 
Isn't it Italian? Pellegrino? It is. Oh, yes. It's bougie. <laughs> Car- Karl Marx was not drinking Pellegrino. I'm just telling you that. Oh, right no, now. that's why. I, okay. <laughs> the Red Star. Anyways. All right. So let's let's roll into our topic here because this is getting off the rails quick. And that's okay. I don't mind it. But, you know, right. our, those people who clicked like and subscribe and got this far are probably getting irritated. They're like, this is not what I signed up for. <laughs> <clears throat> so yeah, we never ever do this ever and never get distracted evian water isn't well it's not an anagram it's just naive backwards yeah yeah all right sorry let's get back <laughs> let's get into the topic oh this is great this is great i real topic let's focus sorry so here's one thing i realized this week while teaching knowing that we've we've been in person but we've all also been live streaming our um our classes because we have some home learners and, and it's getting recorded too, right? So uh, this week I was teaching about, um, I'm in the, we're studying the Russian revolution. So I studied, we were doing a, a topic on Vladimir Lenin and communism and socialism. And, you know, I just kind of have a habit of just continuing to talk, right? So I, I mentioned here's what communism is, right? It abolishes private property. Here's what socialism is. It's, you know, uh, government ownership of industry. And here's how this works. You know, the the one little uh, thing we always say to kids, right? Like if, if you want the classroom to be socialist, here's what I do. We take our test next week and I would give everyone the average grade and and what would happen then, right? Like, so the four kids who get A's, what would you start to do? And I wouldn't study anymore. And the kids who always get F's, what would you start to do? Well, wouldn't study anymore because I'm going to get the same. Right. So we have that discussion. I understand that that's not a perfect um, analogy, but, you know, we're getting into this conversation and kids are asking questions about, you know, why would people want to do that? And, and, you know, what, what's the result, just all these kind of things. And I, and I, the first time I've realized during that conversation that I'm kind of like watching what I say, knowing that this is being broadcast. What was fantastic is uh, I did have a parent come to me and said, we really enjoyed the discussion on communism. And I'm like, that's just great. So super excited that that. So what you're saying is you didn't do a John Galt monologue or. You, you just no, no, I didn't go for no, I didn't go John Galt. Well, see, so we, I could have gone full John Galt, but I also, I had a student who's like, you know, one point nine trillion dollars. It's just we got to pay that back, and I'm like, and I just said, do we? <laughs> and he's like, our debt's twenty trillion dollars, and and I'm like, we're doing okay. I don't know that we have to do anything about it, and. uh and I was just kind of left it at that. And I, that kind of surprised me to say that, but surprised myself. Yeah. That's interesting. Those conversations though. I remember when I was, when I was teaching and especially economics, it was, those are fun conversations to have um, kind of explaining the different economic systems and then personal finances versus government budgets and stuff like that. It's, it's really interesting, especially in middle school, because that's when things start to click for them. Um, because really economics is an abstract, um, concept and yeah, once you get above the like local and state level, it's, 
yeah it's well, not I, I mean even in small it's hard markets, to grasp and i think it's fun for them to start making connections on those abstract concepts and i think it's cool to see them and there's and they're starting to form opinions based on their own analysis and their own conclusions yeah. and not necessarily well this is what my mom and dad right say. So, so you I, hear I guess things, this you hear things coming from seventh and eighth graders that are just mm -hmm. straight out of the mouths of their parents right yeah and and you, you kind of understand it like you you say that and i might totally agree with you but you don't understand what you said so i'm going to ask you some questions and uh just kind of prod at that and that's always kind of fun to ask the questions and just see how they respond, you know, Oh, we have to pay this debt back. Do we, do we really? So the most entertaining yeah. thing for me is uh, Jake, when you used to do, <clears throat> do your economics lesson in, in the school and to see show. all of the, the group projects of, you know, these kids were spending so recklessly in their, in their <laughs> fake little businesses. And, yeah. You know, you'd make a little. Oh, they spent actual money putting that together, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But you know, they would just burn it to the ground almost immediately because of improper spending, and then people were super, super concerned. It was just fascinating. It's to funny. All the little well, personalities come out there. And when we did the trade show, and I wish Jeff was on tonight because his son was one of my stars of that <laughs> trade show. Because oh, they he were was making, a star of every activity we did. He was, he was a scholar. I mean, he was a gentleman among men. Like, anyway, <laughs> he, was an, but, he was an officer in the water balloon war. He was, he was Raptors. And a, okay, anyway. As a seventh but grader, he was a commanding group, officer of Raptor. Eric. Okay, let me finish my sentence and you okay, can do go. your rant. And then, okay. And his group, I don't remember what they were called, the Tiki Hut or something, but they, <laughs> they were selling... They were selling like fruit smoothies, hand over fist, just raking in the cash. And I, one of the things that I had when I did that trade show is they're like, you know, you have to market it, you have to sell, and you have to keep a budget of everything that you sell. So I know how much you made versus the other groups. And they're like, yeah, we're making all this money. I'm like, great. I can't wait to see it on your, on your budget or on your uh, <laughs> ledger. Yeah, your ledger. And, uh, and wide eyes. And I go, your ledger, so you can itemize everything that you brought in, your receipts. And uh, <laughs> I'll look at Jeff's son. And I'm like, you've got that, right? And he's like, mm, hold on a second. <laughs> and he runs off. It was awful. It was a mess. Their books were a mess. The IRS would have ripped them apart. Um, and, and But their grades suffered as a result. Even though they made a bunch of money, they couldn't keep track of it. And so their grade wasn't as good you know, as it could have been. That would have been so fun to just like have me come in in like a black suit and tie sunglasses kick man. down the door and be like tax man's here let me yeah. see your books all right i get my 40 percent. let's go there um, was one year where um they used a, a portion of the gym where there was like an inner room that you had to pay for and i don't the know they used, they used the, the youth room the <laughs> yeah, nightclub yeah, 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 yeah. and they, <laughs> they charged the like club. 10 times as much to get to the VIP section. They and charged, that such a yeah. great social experiment. They made so much money because they made you pay for exclusivity. It was yeah. unbelievable. There was like, like four kids in there and they're like, yes, we're in. It's like, you're in with three other people. Is that really worth it? And they're like, yes. 
Yeah. <laughs> Spend every dollar on this. They made a they made a ton of money and they didn't yeah. sell anything other than exclusivity. Like it was, come on in, we'll play some music. Yeah, we might have some soda. I don't know. <laughs> it was they made a bunch of money. They did a really good job. That was that was my favorite project of the year. It's, that and the water balloon war. Yeah. Literally fire. All these other right suckers there. making like food and I mean it was just it, it was a learning experience. They did all I every group that I had did a good job. I, all right, we gotta move on to a real yeah, topic. No, that, I could talk about this. We'll do another great, podcast where we just talk about our greatest school projects. And yes. Stories. I like okay. it. That'll be a dad bot after dark, I think. Okay, so yeah. tonight's uh, episode, now that we're actually into it, um, we're going to talk about two movies for Black History Month. And uh, there, there's a criticism on one that I was reading um, that it really shouldn't be, I guess, categorized as a as a Black film. Um, and, and I kind of agree in some respects. But um, <clears throat> so the first film we're going to look at, and again, there's dozens of great films, um, is Red Tails which is a 2013 film uh, details the exploits of the Tuskegee Airmen, also known as the Red Tails for the paint uh, that they put on the back of their P-51s uh, during World War II in Europe. Uh, it stars Aaron Burr, the Empire Guy, and Cuba Show Me the Money Gooding Jr. Um, by the way, Cuba Gooding Jr. has been in three different productions based on the Tuskegee Airmen. So, so it was actually Leslie Odom Jr., uh the empire terrence guy howard. is terrence howard um and then cuba gooding jr and then there's a whole host a of young other... michael b jordan is in there yes he is mm. it's true anyway. yeah um so <clears throat> i remember when i saw the the preview for this film i was super excited to see it because the trailer was just stunning um, you know, I saw a great deal of, of, uh, fighter, you know, airborne action, right. Dog fighting. Um, and it was also about this story group of airmen, uh, African-American airmen, you know, the U S army and armed forces were still segregated during world war II. <clears throat> and so it was an all black, uh, fighter squadron. And, uh, so I was kind of, you know, looking forward to seeing this film, I will say that I, when I did see it, I finally got it on DVD <clears throat> and I, f I feel like I was fairly disappointed in the film when I initially saw it. Um, this most recent viewing that I did this past week, uh, I enjoyed it quite a bit more. Um, but there's still some things about this film that bug me, but it has more to do with the filmmaking than the story um, behind the Tuskegee Airmen. Cause it's still an amazing story and, and historical moment that these, african-american airmen were able to you know succeed to such uh great heights but um and again in the face of the kind of adversity they were facing from their own country what do you guys think um you know i it's funny this is one of my wife's favorite movies and um she was really excited for me to watch it because i had not seen it until we started doing the research for black history month and she, um, when she was a teacher, she taught middle school um, history and social studies, and she would show clips of the dog fights in this movie um, to her students. And I think she showed the We Fight speech um, that Terrence Howard gives as well. But um, 
And I would say from that perspective, the the air to air combat scenes were really, really good. Um, I really enjoyed watching those. But I will say as far as like just a movie watching experience, I didn't really like the movie. I thought the acting was kind of forced. The dialogue wasn't super good, um, especially when you have such good actors as Leslie Odom Jr., um, Terrence Howard, Cuba Gooding Jr. I mean, those are, Cuba Gooding's an Oscar winner, right? Like, um, and, and Brian Cranston's in it, like in uh, Gerald McRaney, like these are not like yeah. biggest actors. And and I thought, man, for, for such a star-studded cast, it was kind of a letdown. Um, and I remember, and I think, and, and maybe this is because memories, you know, grow fonder as, as I get older, but I remember seeing, I think it was just called the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, 1995 movie starring Lawrence Fishburne. And I remember that movie being really, really good. Granted, it was 20 plus years ago now. Um, and so I guess I was expecting something like that when I watched Red Tails and I just didn't feel it um, the way it was when I, when I saw the original Tuskegee Airmen movie in, in the 90s. Um, but with that said, I mean, I think there was some really good stuff in there um, although I wouldn't say historically speaking, because from what I read as afterwards is none of the characters in the movie were actual yeah. Tuskegee Airmen. I mean, they were all kind of composites of different real people, but none of them was like an actual person in, in the Tuskegee, um, Airmen. So I thought that was an odd choice made by the director or producers. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're you know, I was trying to, I guess the way, the way I'd put it is if I'd compare it to other war films, uh, because it's a war film is that mm -hmm. it's trying to tell the story of the Tuskegee airmen. Um, but you can't, you can't do that, um, over what seems like a condensed period of time in the film, right? It, it, it seems very condensed, and you're trying to tell like this broad sweeping story of the, the Tuskegee Airmen, but it's about a handful of, um, you know, missions that they go on. You got the love story tied up in there um, with, uh, I think, Lieutenant Little, right? Um, and mm -hmm. his Italian love interest. And, and then you try to tie in as well, kind of the civil rights aspect and so I think that's where the, the film kind of bumbles. I will also say um, this is one of two films, I believe it's just two films that are under the Lucasfilm production. So when Lucasfilm comes up, especially coming out of that kind of early 2000s, early, what, 20 teens, um, it, it's heavily overproduced, I think. You know, mm -hmm. it's, I, I don't think there's, I don't think they filmed a shot in Italy, but I don't know that for certain. Um, everything has extra CGI. I mean, pretty much any scene in there that's, that's from more than 20 feet from, from a character is, has CGI in it. So it's, um, I just felt like it was kind of overproduced, but again, the dog fighting scenes were absolutely amazing. Um, mm -hmm. Especially with all the bombers. It's probably some of the best, uh, air action I've seen in a World War II film for that, you know, showing the bombers, showing the planes fighting around them. 
I found that to be pretty compelling stuff. <clears throat> and so I think getting some of those clips was something that I might try to do um, for when I teach World War II. Because I think those those uh, show what that stuff looks like pretty well. Cameron, you got any thoughts? Yeah, I, I think they did a good job of, you know, showing how over time these guys <clears throat> earned respect. I mean, they were a, a very important part of the war to protect the bombers and, you know, weren't, weren't necessarily the main guys, but they were um, kind of in the in the behind the scenes. And I, I like, you know, they always say that the logistics wins wars and it's not always necessarily the people on the front lines, but those who support people. Um, and it's, it's cool to, you know, first of all, it's a good story and it's a historical story. Um, they took liberties, of course, but um, I like that perspective of, um, you know, there takes there's a lot of different roles um mm -hmm. to win a war i agree with that I, I think that was a good point that they they highlighted <clears throat> and you know i think one scene where where they're basically saying uh the white fighter pilots um are off going going to get the crosses on their plane they're, they're going for the dog fights and the glory and leaving the heavies the bombers exposed and because that's how they were trained and i don't know enough about how pilot training happened back then but um and then they said the tuskegee airmen's like you need to sacrifice personal glory to make sure that american lives are saved and that we can accomplish our missions and um and they did and something that was accurate is that um uh, on average 46 bombers were lost on escort by white fighters um, or white fighter squadrons, I should say, but for the Tuskegee Airmen, they only lost 27 bombers. Um, so they were far better than the average um, for the war. And, um, you know, they did shoot down, I don't know how many, I, I don't know if I had that stat, but they, they uh, had 66 airmen that were killed in action. They did receive 96 flying crosses. Oh, yeah. And uh, they didn't have any ace, ace pilots, but um, that's because to be an ace, you got to shoot down five enemy planes. And if you're making it an intentional goal to stick with the bombers, then that's obviously going to keep your numbers down. But like you said, the logistics made for more successful bombing run, Cameron. And I think at the end, that's what you want as a commander, certainly. And, you know, I think it's a microcosm of the, the greatest generation, too. And it's it's too bad that, you know, when America looks back at, you know, all the sacrifices that were made and lives and all of the things, even back home, that was, mm -hmm. you know, every, every American. It wasn't just mm -hmm. the, the ones that are fighting in the, in the war. And like I said, um, some of the unsung heroes, there's, there's so much to cover when you, when you talk about history and what history talks about. There's you know, D-Day obviously comes up and Battle of Midway obviously comes up and dropping the, the bombs in, in Japan were obviously big things in the war. But when you start to peel back the layers and you talk about, yeah, I mean, maybe things would have been different had we not had, you know, certain contributions, be it from minorities, be it from whatever. Um, just, it's, it's cool to see the big, scope of, of history. And I, I say this all the time on this podcast, but I am always learning in some of the research that we do that, hey, I've, I've just never really even thought of it that way. Because um, the history that we learn in school is just so narrow. 
Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. Eric, you got uh, any other thoughts here? Or? <clears throat> no, I mean, uh, I you know, that, that film Tuskegee Airmen from 1995 did have Cuba Gooding Jr. in it. Um, so he's been in a couple at least, and he was also in a documentary, I believe. But um, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting because, uh, you know, the next film we're going to talk about, uh, it, it kind of occurred to me as well. But, you know, it's, if you take these contributions out, it doesn't necessarily change the, the end result. Um, but the ability to contribute to what you're part of is is something else entirely and to, to anyone, for anyone to be deprived of the ability to contribute to a common task mm -hmm. or a common goal. Um, it is, I mean, that's detrimental to everybody. Right. And so if everybody can have a hand in where you're going, it's, it's better uh, for everyone. So again, yeah. could, could the allies have won the war without the Tuskegee airmen? Oh, they probably would have. I mean, you can take any single unit out and we'd probably still win the war, but um, it's this kind of story. That's the story of every other unit during the war uh, that did something spectacular or exceptional or simply stood their ground for long enough to, again, gain another inch, another foot, another mile um, yeah. for the allied cause. It's, you know, who doesn't want to be a part of trying to defeat evil right so um <clears throat> and of course well, they, the part of their story of they're they're also fighting this other kind of much less traditional battle um in their own ranks of the u.s military and at home uh yeah. makes it more complicated but um also more i think rewarding to have done it in the face of you know adversity mm -hmm. I agree with that. I think that's a, a good way to, to kind of button that one up. Um, and we can move on to the next one. Yeah. So the, the next film, uh, and again, you know, we said, well, let's, uh, you know, we don't have all the time in the world, uh, was a movie that I had not seen yet. <clears throat> uh, that's hidden figures. Um, the 2016 <clears throat> film based on a book of the same name, uh, by Margot Lee Shetterly about uh, African-American female mathematicians who were working for NASA um, <clears throat> during the space race. So this is, uh, the film takes place, it seems pretty much a narrow time frame of the early 60s. Um, but the events that are kind of shown in the film uh, actually span from the late 40s into the late 60s. Um, mm -hmm. And it features um, three women, uh, <clears throat> a NASA supervisor and mathematician, Dorothy Vaughn, a NASA engineer, Mary Jackson, um, and uh, a mathematician, Katherine Johnson, um, who her work was uh, calculating the flight trajectories for Project Mercury. Um, so it features th these three and the, kind of this story that's kind of these three intertwined at NASA and their contributions and three African-American women. Um, I think Cameron, you, you, uh, you took a good look at this. What do you think? Yeah, I got a lot of, a lot out of this movie. I watched it with my wife and um, 
<clears throat> we were really impressed with with the movie. Um, and I think the best way to set this up was I was um, reading a, an article not long ago, and it was about cognitive bias. And um, it was about how going into a situation, if you're not given the benefit of the doubt, if you feel like you have to battle just for respect, you're already at a disadvantage. Um, and I kind of liken that to what I used to, to tell my my athletes when I was coaching them, especially in basketball is, you know, the, the tendency is to, especially when you're on defense, to react to what the offense is doing, not as opposed to dictating the tempo of the game, dictating what has to happen and, and stop them from doing what they want to try to do. Um, I thought the movie, uh, one of the big themes that I thought was really cool is man, these women just had to earn respect. I mean, they started at below zero and just to get to zero so that people would, would view them a certain way, it took a period of time. They had to be really, really good at what they did. They had to be respectful and, and get along and handle themselves well. Um, and they had to get extraordinarily lucky. And if for all of those things to kind of come together is amazing, you know, and racial things aside in, in this country now is, you know, they're, they're better than, than racial relations now at this time in 2021 are significantly, significantly better than they were in early sixties. Um, you know, the, the women who have been in the workforce and, and, you know, it's, it's common now to see women in the workfare force and working full time and, and juggling motherhood and wifehood and working at the same time. And there were so many different things working against these women. Um, I thought that was really, really cool. So just for the fact that they didn't have a chip on their shoulder um, and were still able to succeed in spite of all of those things, um, is a real testament to not just their intelligence, but their ability to, to fit in. And, you know, one of the um, perfect examples of that is, was it Dorothy Vaughn? Was that her name? The uh, yeah. supervisor? Mm -hmm. um, she had the, the foresight to say, hey, these IBM computers are the wave of the future. They make these calculations so fast. If we want to keep a job, we need to learn these computers inside and out. It doesn't matter how smart we are. We have to be smart about what we're focused on. So, um, you know, pay attention to what you're paying attention to. If we're just trying to uh, do the calculations right, if we're just trying to be super, super good at what our job is, you know, maybe that job is going to go away someday. So let's be forward thinking. Let's get out in front of all the, the potential problems and make ourselves valuable. Um, it's, it, it, you can go a lot of different ways in that movie, but they did a great job of showing not just their contribution, but how, how they played the game really well. Um, I, I, I think that was a, a cool part because if you're going to change history, you can't just be smart. You can't just be good. You have to be, um, you, you have to anticipate which, which way the world's going. 
and they, mm -hmm. they did a good job of that. Yeah, especially with NASA or originally an NACA um, before it was NASA, like everything in NASA is new. Like none of the stuff that they're doing existed 20 years ago or 20 years prior. Like it's all new and it's all being invented as the movie is happening or as these people's careers are happening. And so you're already in a world full of geniuses and you also have to have the foresight to say, well, what's next? And so Dorothy Vaughn was able to do that. And she's like, I can see the writing on the wall. And if we want to stay employed, like you said, I have to figure out what's next. And I thought that was a really cool moment um, that she was able to do that and, um, and kind of secure not only her future, but the future for her, the women that worked under her. Um, and apparently what I really liked about this movie, one is that all three of these women specifically existed as opposed to Red Tails where they were all composites. Um, Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson and Katherine Johnson uh, were all real women and they all did these things. Um, and then the other thing, like you said with the, the women programmers is that was also something that happened in NASA is that uh, black and white women uh, became a lot of the early computer programmers um, when, when the IBM machine came out. Um, and, and so it was just kind of cool to see that this new industry, although it definitely had its biases and its prejudices, um, possibly because it was a new industry, was a little more lenient um, in, in, in changing with the time, so to speak. And and recognizing women and specifically black women um, for their intellectual value, like as opposed to saying, well, because you're a woman or because you're black, you can't do this thing that men have dominated forever because nobody's been doing this thing. It's all new. Yeah, the, the yeah, history of I, computing. I, I like the comment that you made last week, Jake. You said how, you know, history is all about standing on the shoulders of giants and, you know, they didn't really have anybody to learn from and, and say, you know, take inspiration from these, to your point, this was a brand new industry. Everything was, it was a male dominated, white male dominated situation and having to work that much harder and be that much better just to, just to break in, just to have an opportunity. And then you have to be the best day in, day out um, was really cool and and you know regardless of of the color there were a lot of minorities a lot of women that you know had changed the world in the 60s of of how we look at employment mm -hmm. yeah so i you know if you look at the history of computing um it is it is kind of it leans heavily towards women especially in the early days of computing as they were the ones who were feeding the the machines that the the cards right the reader cards <clears throat> and that probably goes back to things you know even at like Bletchley Park in England uh, where they were trying to break the Enigma code the number of women who are working there doing a lot of the legwork um, you know leaned heavily women and there, there I think there's a couple reasons for that one is they're intellectually capable which is not a question but that the men who might be doing that job were off fighting in a war. Um, and that didn't change in the early 1950s, as there's a lot of men over in Korea. It didn't change in the 1960s as we were, got tied up in Vietnam. Um, 
so it just, it's natural, especially as women are entering their workforce, that's something that they can, um, <clears throat> you know, a lot of them felt drawn to, which is really fascinating. Um, you know, again, like I said, that this, this film did take its liberties in condensing a lot of this stuff. And, and also kind of, I think for the sake of, of dramatization, um, you know, I think made some of the, and again, it's going to be hard to, because the goal, my goal not, is not necessarily to downplay it, but, you know, some of the NASA wasn't racially segregated like they showed in the film, at least not in 1961. Um, was there, you know, individual personal biases and all that kind of stuff? Sure. Um, and even when, uh, and I think it was uh, Mary, oh, is it Mary Jackson? Um no, Catherine, uh, Catherine Johnson, when she had to use the restroom, right? The, the, in the film, when she had to go run back and forth between her building and the other building to go use the restroom, you know, that, that wasn't was. actually what happened. You know, what she actually did was she just used the, the women's restroom in the building. It said white, a complaint was filed. She ignored it. And then they dropped it. Cause I think, especially in federal buildings and federal facilities, they had desegregated and they weren't going to uphold Virginia or Maryland Jim Crow laws, you know, they were just like, no, th this is a federal building. We'll, we'll do that. Um, when I think Mary Johnson uh, or Mary Jackson, sorry, uh, wanted to attend classes to be an engineer, she asked and they were kind of like, no. And then she's like, well, that's the only school. And then they're like, all right, whatever. You know? So I think again, the film trying to dramatize the, the racial aspect a, it might be necessary for artistic purposes, but also, um, you know, I'm sure they were facing racism in other ways, um, <clears throat> but it wasn't so much from NASA as an institution. Um, and one other criticism of the film, too, is kind of, and, and I don't know how you guys feel about this, was that that white savior, you know, Kevin Costner being the white man who saves everyone and gives everyone a shot. Again, his character was kind of a, a composite, but... Um, I know some people were kind of um, critical of the film over that piece. I don't know how I feel about it um, after having just I viewed mean, it. But yeah, I I don't have a problem with that because you know all of us have benefited from one mentor or another, or some somebody gave all of us a shot at one point. Um, you know, regardless of, of what you had to deal with coming up, um, you owe a portion of your success to um, a benefactor in one way or another. And, and whether that's one person or- Are you, are you talking a, about a me, Cameron? People. Yes, yes, Eric. Um, that, <laughs> uh, that beer that you bought me one time, I'll, I'll never forget that in my life. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but I, 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 I don't think that that's irresponsible at all. Um, and in fact, when, when they talk about those specific individual people, um, you know, these, these movements are the result of one individual and then the individual next to them and then, you know, another individual. And that's, again, about, and I said it before about the greatest generation is 
um, it takes a movement of many people, not just the heroes in it. Um, you know, Kevin Costner's character is a, you know, a composite of, like you said, helpful people. And that, that happens throughout life. And, and to make it all one person is, is irresponsible. Um, Jackie Robinson had a lot of success and, and owed that to Branch Rickey, the general manager of, of the Dodgers to a certain extent. So um, yeah, I, I think it's great when, when other people are appreciated in that role. And I think, and I, I get it. I think there's a, a trope in movies, certainly, especially movies with black characters where there's a white savior's complex. Um, there's that white savior character that pops up in a lot of movies. Um, I would say with this movie with Al Harrison, the character that Costner played, as you said, he was a composite. Um, he was largely based off of Robert C. Gilruth. Um, it was actually, he was a composite of three directors um, that existed at NASA during Catherine's time there, um, but mainly Robert C. Gilruth. And, um, you know, some of the stuff in there, although dramatized, like when she has to be a part of the Pentagon briefings, um, and Jim Parsons' character, which was also a, a fictionalized character, he wasn't an actual person, um, but somebody said, well, there, women aren't supposed to be in the briefings. And she goes, is there a rule for that? And they're like, no. And then the boss was like, all right, well, let her in then. Like, it's there's no written rule that says she can't be in here. So there were instances there, I think, where this person that Al Harrison is based off of um, did do things that helped um, Catherine Goebbels or Johnson. Um, but I, I do think him dramatically smashing down the colored's bathroom sign was, I could see that being as a bit much because one, it did, as far as I could see in my research, it didn't happen. No. Like you said, Eric, it was just, yeah, and, and, and so I think great scene though. Oh yeah. It's a, great a fantastic scene, scene like, because you have but, really what his character is about. His character is about, we have a task. I don't care who's involved. It doesn't matter to me, uh, mm -hmm. you know, their sex or their color of the skin. If you can do this job, then we need you. And so when he realizes after her outburst that there is this thing that's taking from the task, mm -hmm. he went to fix yeah. it. And, and um, yeah. And I will say with that whole, that was a theme is the bathroom was a theme throughout the movie. Um, and I will say it was interesting that when Al Harrison kind of is like ticked off at her, he's like, you're gone for 40 minutes every day. Where are you? And she you know, says, you don't have a bathroom for me here. And like, she gives this, this speech. And, and to me, it, it kind of said like, it's like, uh, a lot of my life, I've assumed I don't have prejudice or I don't have bias and I'm not racist. And it's not that I am, but there's so many blind spots in my life because I just have no idea what black men and women are going through in modern day America. Um, regardless if there's Jim Crow laws or not anymore, there's still a whole lot that they have to go through that I've never had to think about. And I thought that scene where she bursts out at him, she's like, yeah, you don't see why that I have this, you, you, all you see is me gone for 40 minutes, but you don't see the struggle that I have to go through just to go to the bathroom. And I think after that, to, to his character, it, it opened his eyes to 
this whole other subcurrent that she has to deal with on top of just being a genius and trying to get John Glenn into orbit. Um, you know, it, she can't even do the mundane things as simply as we can, um, but you're expecting her to go above and beyond it. And I think that was a, a good moment and I get why they dramatize it and I get why they put that theme in there, although it's not totally accurate to the history. Um, it is reflective, I think, of that unconscious bias that a lot of people um, talk about. Um, I will say with John Glenn, because that was the ultimate goal, right, of the movie, is to get John Glenn into orbit so we can catch up with those Russians. And, and, and back down safely, right? That was... And back down safely. <clears throat> and um, the whole scene where, like, he's about to launch and they're like, oh, no, the computer's wrong. And we got to go get the girl to check the numbers. John Glenn's like, well, get that girl to check him because if she's okay with it, I'm okay with it. And apparently that did happen yeah. where John Glenn said have her check those numbers and if she's fine with it then let's launch but it did not happen two minutes before the launch no. it was days before and it took her like a day and a half to check the numbers um which i, can, I, I cannot <laughs> imagine doing math like all of that math that they do long yeah. and i think i've seen some some pictures of of some of the women i don't know if it was you know if she was african-american or white standing next to the stack of math, right? Like all of her work that helped us like get some, it might've been on like the Apollo 11 mission, right? Here's how we got the guy to the moon. It's six feet tall. Here's the math, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I, we've talked about this before. If you dropped us back in any decade before the seventies, we wouldn't last too long. I, no, no now, now you drop somebody up with us now, and again, we're going to have issues, but it's, I, I could not walk into that building and say, oh, we're going to do all this math longhand on paper with a pencil. It's just, well, and, and that, that was no so thanks. great, right, is they called them computers, yeah. um, and they had the sign <laughs> colored computers, because they had two wings, right, they had the mm -hmm. colored computers, and they yeah. had the, um, I guess, were the, the, white female it was like uh, the west campus store, but they, campus yeah uh, but the i was reading in the history and they just call them computers with skirts and <laughs> that's that's what they were designated as um they computed in, in the 40s and 50s but right because computers didn't exist yet actual machine computers didn't exist right. so computers were just people that were really good at math that's what a computer was so so one of the uh, first computers that was employed uh I forget. I gotta go look it up, but um, it could it could uh, predict the trajectory of an artillery shell fired from a location at a certain degree with certain wind. It could do that, but it took it twenty times longer to determine the trajectory as it would for the thing to actually fly that trajectory and hit. So you could predict it, but it's not going to help you once it's been fired, right? Like. It's not yeah. fast enough. It's just, it can do it. So, but yeah, I, I did yeah. enjoy the film. I, there's some historical inaccuracy that, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I've come to be okay with that in most historical films. Um, I think one of the problems 
with hidden figures, and I think it was similar with Red Tails, was trying to fit this massive arc of this idea of civil rights into a single film that's, I mean, you could, you could make a, a movie about the Tuskegee Airmen where you don't mention any of the civil rights aspects. You just like, here's, you know, it's segregated, here's this unit, and here's their exploits. And we'll just leave it at that. They're not going to have discussions um, where they're forcing the civil rights discussion. Uh, same thing with hidden figures. You could probably just have a fantastic story just about one of these women uh, and what she did that doesn't touch on race at all. Um, and, and I think when, when we try to fit those other things into these films, it, again, I think Jeff commented, this is two hours long. Like that's a long film. Both of these were two hours long. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it just, the, the perspective of a film, that's a lot to fit in um, to get some of those other story arcs in there. Uh, but I, I, I enjoyed them. Um, they're not at the top of my history film list, but I think they're worthwhile. Do you think, um, and maybe this is an open-ended question, but do you think we're not at a point in movies where we can make a film about the Tuskegee Airmen um, without mentioning the civil rights aspect of it? Well, because it's not so much that you you wouldn't. I mean, you you have to set it up as in the Tuskegee Airmen, it was all black because it was segregated. <clears throat> you have sure. to you have to have that i'm simply saying can you you can make a film where you set that up you're like that's that's who these were this is what this unit was um and maybe you don't have to say it i mean you don't have to say this is 101st airborne in world war ii and it's all white because it's it, but i mean it wasn't necessarily all white right because hispanics you know latinos were allowed in them um but you can give it that premise and then just tell the story of these pilots and what they did and, you know, their struggles individually, which may not have anything to do with their race. Um, and it can still be compelling. I, so I, I just think, and again, I think the civil rights lesson needs to be, I think that that does need to be explained. Um, it just kind of depends on your goal for the film. Really, and so, um, yeah, they're, they're trying to trying to tell a lot within a two-hour time frame, and so it feels like stuffed. I I don't necessarily disagree. I think, in in a sense that, especially with Red Tails, is they tried to fit a lot of time or a lot of events in a yeah. movie. And I, I think if they'd just done one battle, if they'd done the air raid over Britain or Berlin, sorry, um, and, and shorten the scope as far as the events, right? But they didn't do that. And, you know, they had that, they had their first uh, yeah, raid with the bombers, they had the coastal patrol, they had all these other things going on. And I, I think the story was too wide in that respect. Um, I would say though, with red tails or or even hidden figures though with with the civil rights aspect of it especially red tails is 
the only reason the Tuskegee Airmen exist is because they yeah. were segregated. Yeah. It's not like you can't uh, not address that in a movie. No, I, I think I'm you not guys saying are both. You know, I don't. I want to say this the right way, but you guys are, are taking for granted your historical knowledge compared to the average person. That is true. Um, that is true. I'm. I'm very got a lot right well first of all i don't call it a film when i watch these movies <laughs> i'm just trying to save i'm trying to save syllables <laughs> no I, I i just think I, I i see what you're what you're asking there jake and i i think you're it's a good point um <clears throat> for, for most of us uh, history novices i think it it kind of needs that backdrop to really help you understand the, the scope and you know especially as time goes by um 20 years from now people are sadly probably going to be less aware of the civil rights movement um, than they are now so you know as a director you also got to think about you know how is this going to stand the test of time and that context i think is is important again depending on what your what your goal is for the movie but um yeah you you gotta kind of put that in if it's gonna hit home in my I, I guess one of the things that i would say to that and and i guess the the story of the tuskegee airmen as a military unit apart from the segregation is extraordinary like oh, it's incredible. Th their achievements and and their story is fantastic, and it should be told. They they achieve something amazing, and th there's plenty of other units that also achieved at an amazing level, right? Um, and that that is is great, or it's good enough. You then there's the added aspect of oh, also keep in mind. There was segregation. There was a, a separate set of laws for one group of people. That also, to overcome that, adds another layer. What uh, I'm going to get these names long, right? Uh, Catherine, Catherine Johnson, Dorothy Vaughn, Mary Jackson. What they did, had they been white men, was amazing. It doesn't matter to me because what they did was extraordinary their circumstances make it even more extraordinary but i think and i would hope at some point in the future we can say that what they did was amazing regardless um but i mean you can go back two thousand years and different roman units that were uh you know separated out by their tribe you know we still tell the stories as if this tribe was different and separate and set aside and they achieved at an extraordinary level. So I think it might be hard ever to separate those things. I, I agree, but I mean, right. You wouldn't do a, you wouldn't do a movie of Jackie Robinson without, right. Understanding the circumstances, uh, right? Like, right. Without explaining what he was doing. Like that's the whole point. Yeah. Is yeah. That the Tuskegee Airmen were a first, and uh, these women were, in all some respects, were, were 
firsts in their right first supervisor first female black female yeah. engineer first you know um johnson did the calculations for apollo 11 and did the calculations to save apollo 13 like like they were all doing things that no woman had ever done no black woman had ever done or and i don't know if any black i don't know if, what if there was black men in s i don't i don't know um but um and, and so i think and I agree with you. I, I want to appreciate people for what they do and, and who they are just as people. But I think, I don't know if we're ready to do those movies yet um, where we don't spend a lot of time doing exposition on the circumstances of what they're going through at the time. No, because I hope I, we are someday, I, but I don't see, think we are now. I Well, I, I guess, I don't know. Maybe I'm going to go back on myself here, but I... I <laughs> You know, I wouldn't necessarily want to tell these stories without having some of that context, right? I guess I'm talking more to the, uh, in Red Tails, it kept bringing up civil rights things throughout. And again, that's where I think the dialogue, and you mentioned that the dialogue was kind of, it just seemed very forced. Like they're like, here's, here's five hours worth of dialogue. Let's get the most potent phrases in. And, and Jeff, you know, in our text, he didn't make it tonight, but he had his counter of war cliches, right? And so they're packing all of that. Oh, yeah, that take film. that, Mr. Hitler. And yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree. I think the writing and, in Red Tails just so wasn't very I guess good. I yeah. would never want these stories from our past to be told without some of the context. You need that context. What I would love is as we go forward in our country's you know, history, um, we don't have to. Right, because we, we have to in the past, because those things happen, we have to understand the context. I'd like to get to a point where that context doesn't exist, that context of segregation and racism, that context of, of different levels of, of where you start and how people see you, um, prejudice, where if you achieve something great, it happens regardless uh, and 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 doesn't have to happen in spite of some other immutable characteristic. So I guess I, I wouldn't want these films to not have their, I wouldn't want them to lose their context, but I, I, I would like my children and everyone they grew up with to not have to explain context first for their achievements. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe that's muddy waters, but. Oh, yeah, I understand. And, and you could go on a rant right now of... Oh, I just did. You know, hey, read a book, kids, and know your history, kids, and, you know, educate yourself so that that context is less necessary in a movie. You know, um, the society works when, when the educational system works and people know um, a, a certain amount of, of just baseline stuff. So, you know, art and culture works better when people are, are well-educated on these type of things. So, um, yeah, history is important for, you know, the facts and figures and that kind of thing. But, you know, it's bound to repeat itself in some ways. And um, sure. we can look on, on it and, and learn about it. So, um, yeah, I it's an interesting conversation for sure. It's how much context do you need? Varies by person, of course, but yeah, hopefully we'll get to a place in, in 
education, not even race relations, but in education where this is like common knowledge stuff. Everybody know, oh yeah, okay, go go on. We don't need this kind of context. Um, but or yeah, maybe point. as you guys are saying that is that we, not that we don't need the context, but that the context is already intrinsic within us. So we already understand. Oh, 1940s, World War II, army was still segregated and, and here's what happened. Um, so that they don't have to do a bunch of exposition within the movie itself. You can see it kind of implicitly built into the story, but you don't have to have them kind of saying, and here's what's going on here and here's what's going on here. Um, so yeah, I, th I think. I think we're all on the same page. We're just at like slightly different paragraphs within that page. Like I think we're real close. <laughs> um, might not be on the same line, but we're on the same page. So yeah. you got something there, Eric? I thought you were about to knowledge drop us. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm, 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 I'm kind of reading some things and uh I kind of wanted to, I don't know. I, I like that we have, that we've done quotes in the past and, and I thought I would kind of get us to a, a stopping point here um, uh, to, I guess this would kind of end us at uh, black history month too. Um, here's a quote from uh, W.E.B. Dubois. It says the cost of Liberty is less than the price of repression. The cost of Liberty is less than the price of repression. And I think that that would speak to Black History Month pretty well in that, um, you know, what does it cost for everyone in this country to be free? It really costs nothing other than that we can let other people be free. Um, the price that we've paid in this nation to repress and oppress people in so many different ways, it doesn't you know, it can be Native Americans, can be African Americans, can be, uh, you know, the Jap Japanese Americans during World War II. Um, you know, I, it, honestly, it could be Irish Americans and Italian Americans and German Americans in the early parts of the, the 20th century. Um, you know, anytime that we repress people and oppress them, it, it hurts the oppressors uh, in, in a way that that's going to affect them for generations. Um so we kind of wrap up Black History Month. I thought that was kind of an interesting quote. Um, you know, as, as somebody who likes to think forward you know, for this country, I'd like to get us to a point where this isn't our constant conversation. Yeah. Because we have great things we could be doing. Um, if we could move past some of this and I'm, and I'm saying that from my perspective, I know there's plenty of people who are like, well, this is in my every day. So, uh, I don't know how to, I just know what I want. I don't know how to get there. So. I think it's a great quote though. I mean, it, it really is. And, you know, as, as you said, um, the repression and the oppression that have happened in America um, hurts everybody. It doesn't just hurt Black Americans or Hispanic Americans or Asian Americans or certain um, subsets of European Americans, depending on the time that they emigrated to the United States. It, it hurts everyone because 
as we saw with when we were discussing George Washington Carver and like, it's like, why wouldn't you want his ability to, to spread his knowledge and his help? Why wouldn't you want that? And, and when we talked about the athletes and it's like, um, and Jack Johnson, the boxer, it's like, man, if they had let him go pro a few years earlier, how great would that have been for boxing? Like it always, and the same thing with these women um, and the same thing with the Tuskegee Airmen. It's like, if they had let them fly the bombing missions earlier, would that have made the Americans effective, more effective overall in the war effort? And it's like, not letting people realize their potential doesn't just hurt them, it hurts everyone. Um, and conversely, encouraging and, and pushing people to realize their potential is a benefit to everybody. A rising tide lifts all boats, so to speak. Um, and I think we've seen that over and over again as we've done these uh, pods for Black History Month is, you know, the more we lift people up, the better it is for everyone. Yeah, I, I think that's a good place to kind of drop drop things off and, and wrap it up for Black History Month. Um, what, uh, are, are we gonna set up Dad, Dad Bought After Dark for next week? Cause I can't wait. Dad bought oh, after definitely. Bedark. I like it. Bedark, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. Should we tease it? Should we tease it? I don't know. Yeah. Do we have a special I mean, guest. I think there we, we might have. Panel than normal. We do. I. Two I special think, guests. Oh, I think. I I think we might if 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 we've got Jeff, so we got the four of us. Is we he might a special have guest seven more. No, yeah, no, he's... but we might have a total of seven, which would mean everyone has like a 40 second time limit. Like we're going to have to just bust through that. But I, I'm excited if we can make that happen next week. Seven? Seven. Oh, man. All right. But Cameron, you something you said can earlier. You handle it? Oh, I can handle it. <laughs> Graphics department is going to be working hard. It might be a late, late week episode. I got some other things in the like work that I can drop. Tiny Tuesday. windows. <laughs> yeah. Just you're gonna have to get closer to your screen, Cameron. Um, no, something you said earlier, Cameron. Uh, you know, logistics when wars reminded me. Uh, Hiram Ulysses Grant. That was his first name, by the way. Hiram. Never heard Ulysses of him. S. Grant. Uh, his background in the army in the early years of his service was in logistics. So when he was finally put in a position to actually start commanding armies at the beginning of the Civil War in the West, uh, he had spent the 40s and 50s doing logistics. That was his background. So That's literally a huge part of how literally the Civil War. how we won the Civil War, how the, the Union won, was it, it was a logistical battle, right? Like you just had yeah. to out supply the south and uh and he managed to do it like he he was he spent so much time writing all these notes and and missives and all these you know just communications just to get things where they needed to be so i thought that was interesting so uh, well i i do think we should tease what we're gonna do next okay week. okay you want to tease it and go for it I mean, 
You look like you're in a teasing. Well, mode. I'm just going to tell them. So. Oh. Okay. Spare it all. <laughs> drag it out of me. There's no rush. You got to keep listening. So last month, we did our ultimate 80s movie draft last month for Dad Bought After Dark. And for this month, we are doing our ultimate 40s. 90s oh. movies. 40s, yes. <laughs> Singing in the Rain. Ever heard of it? I don't know if that was in the 40s. The Maltese but... Falcon. There we go. All right. So there you go, 1990s. So we got a chance against Jeff this time. Uh, dominate. The 90s was our decade. Peter, oh yeah, it's on now. So 1990s draft, apparently we're going to have seven teams uh, based on what Eric's telling us. Oh, I'm hoping I know so. One of the special guests is, I have no idea who these other two could possibly be. Um, okay. Yeah. I, All right, well. I don't know. I'm, so I'm, so I'm hoping we can get Nick back. Oh, okay. He'd be one. And I mean, movies are his thing. So. So I've heard. And then uh, somebody okay. else that we've had on before. So. Either way. Either way. It's going to be great. I cannot yeah. wait. Fantastic. Off the chain. Excited. So. All right. Yeah. That's it. Tune in next week, everybody. Like, comment, subscribe. Thanks for watching Dad Bond History. Those good endings. Nice. Just taking my ending yeah. from me. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, it's probably for the best because your endings are always kind of dismissive and abrupt. <laughs> All right. So. I'm, I'm leaving everybody. Follow or don't. This podcast don't is care. over. <laughs> it's over. Just go Eric away. Power play. Eric's on a power play. <laughs>